Hello. It was a month ago when we last went to our global network of 150 equity and fixed income analysts to ask them what impacts they thought the coronavirus pandemic would have on their sectors. What they told us then wasn't for the faint-hearted. But a lot can change in a few weeks when there's a global health crisis. So we've gone back to ask them for an update. And today we're going to share their latest assessments with you. To help me put these findings into context, I'm joined on the line by Director of Research for Equities, Fiona O'Neill, Global Head of Research for Fixed Income, Marty Dropkin, and Editor of this survey, George Watson. Thank you all for joining me. Hello, Thank you, Richard. Now, George, um, as the editor of this piece of research, let me come to you first of all. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. We know that much. Economies large and small have all been shut down. We know it's bad. But what I'm hoping you're going to tell me now is just how bad our analysts think things will be. So first of all, um, what's your impression uh, comparing this month with last month? Well, I think if you cast your mind back to, to last month, there was a bit more hope around that the, the coronavirus impact would be short, certainly sharp, but we would recover from that fairly quickly. And I think really the main takeaways from the survey are that more analysts are thinking that the, the impact will be negative on their companies. And we have more analysts saying that the impact will go on for longer. Okay, we'll take us through that in a little bit more detail then. Certainly. Well, because of the high degree of uncertainty around how long the outbreak will last for, we asked the analysts both what they think the earnings drop would be if it was a half year issue and what they think the earnings drop would be if it was a full year issue. And for a half year, the results are coming in at around about uh, 25% hit to earnings. And for a full year, that number jumps to around 44%. So quite significant hits there. Almost half of earnings if it's a, a full year impact. I mean, Fiona, can you put that into context for me? How does this um, figure strike you compared with um, estimates that you'd been working with until now? Yeah, I think it's a very big number. And when you hear 44%, exactly as you said, that's almost half of earnings. Um, four weeks ago, we were you know, expecting the drop to be a lot less than that. But what's changed in the last four weeks? Well, we've seen that this has become very much a Europe issue. It's no longer just a China issue. It's also becoming a US issue. And if you think about it, so many of the companies now that we talk about, that we analyze, that we invest in are global companies. They are in some way, shape or form. They have global consumer or they have a global supply chain or perhaps both. And so, you know, this is now a global pandemic. And suddenly we're talking about a loss of earnings, not just from one region, but potentially for all regions for the companies that we are investing in. And Marty, one of the other aspects that came through in this is that more analysts think it is going to be a full year um, effect, a full year impact. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things that jumped out to me was the China numbers on that question. And, and you know, we went from roughly in, in the March survey from about 15% of analysts suggesting that it would be a full year impact in China to about 45% now. So echoing what Fiona just said, this is clearly, you know, the, the mindset of shift is shifting globally. So Fiona, is that, um, does that change the tone of this then? Because um, it did seem to be that, um, you know, China was a ray of light. Um, we, we could see the, uh, the f this was the first indication of fact that things would begin to bounce back in China as um, they got people back to work, as factories opened up and were, you know, many of them almost at, um, at full capacity. And yet, um, as Marty says, quite a lot of people think the impact is going to be full year now for, for Chinese companies. Is that perhaps because of the interconnectedness, as you, um, as you described a moment ago? Yes, Richard. I think the key thing is that 
Previously, we were talking about China had been the region that had been hit, and we were looking for China to bounce back. The difference now is when it's global. Yes, China itself is showing signs of of bouncing back. I mean, even just today, the lockdown in Wuhan has been lifted, but China cannot exist without the rest of the world. And so we always think about what China sells to the U.S., what China sells to Europe. But to sell stuff to us, they actually need parts from other parts of the world to help them produce the goods that they're manufacturing. George, yeah, if I could just add something on the China story from the survey, there's a question in there about leading indicators, and although I think broadly the survey reflects the view that the the recovery in China won't be quite as quick as some people had hoped initially, the Still, 50% of our China analysts say that leading indicators in their sectors are positive. So I do think that the China story first still looks like it's holding, but perhaps taking a little longer than originally thought. A little bit of a delay. Um, Take us through a little bit more then, um, George, on uh, the other regions, um, how they're faring, uh, and perhaps some of the the sectors, because um, that was another aspect that came through. To pick up from Marty's point about uh, the the impact of the virus being slightly broader, slightly longer, Um, something like telecoms, although the sample size of that is fairly small, no telecoms analyst when we asked last month thought that the virus would have a negative impact on their sector. And that's jumped to over 80, 90, around 90%, I think now. So and we've seen that in a few other sectors as well, a quite significant jump, even healthcare, I think it was only half of our healthcare analysts last month said, that it would have a negative impact. And that's jumped to maybe 70, 80% now. So we are seeing this, this re-evaluation now a month later that the virus, you know, it's going to be here to stay for a slightly longer time. And what about um, regions? How has that reflected the changes between them? Because that the virus has moved um, around the world and um, it's hitting different places at different times. So perhaps there's a, a realisation that um, it's following in waves. Yeah, that's right. The impact on earnings certainly looks worse in Europe. Um, It certainly looks worse in emerging markets. And and places like Japan and China look to be coming off slightly better. I mean, it's still a relatively uh, negative picture, but certainly on the scale of things, uh, Japan and China look better placed. And Marty, I know that you've just come from a meeting with portfolio managers um, in, in your team. How are they positioned to uh, to cope with this research? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's a bit of a tale of two worlds right now. And so th- there's a technical aspect and there's a fundamental aspect. I think the fundamental aspect is very much characterized by what we've just gone through, which is that there will be or there's an expectation that there will be a severe earnings drop in 2020. I think we found that most fund managers are that's well within their thought process and that's that's the way they've positioned their funds. I think the technical aspect is perhaps even more interesting, particularly when we're talking about fixed income. And we can talk about this because there's some interesting data on liquidity that came out of the survey. But um, you know, there's a bit of a tale of two worlds going on here. The stronger getting stronger and the weaker potentially getting weaker. And that, that, I think, is also starting to, to play into the, the fund positioning uh, as well. Okay, well, let's, let's come on to that liquidity point then, because we asked the analysts how they think their companies would cope if markets remained in their current state for an extended period of time, and specifically whether they predicted any liquidity squeezes for those companies. So, George, what, what, what did they say on this absolutely crucial point? 
about half the analysts said that their companies would face some kind of liquidity squeeze in in the next year with 25%, so a quarter of analysts saying that that liquidity squeeze would come in their companies within the next six months. So really quite significant numbers there. What would that mean in real terms um, as these companies need to roll over their debt? The stronger companies, those that are solidly investment grade with, with better balance sheets, the market is pretty wide open to those companies. Now, albeit they're issuing at levels with slightly higher coupons than they were uh, pre-COVID crisis, but they do have full access to the markets and, and there's, there's strong demand for those bonds. It's the weaker companies that are going to struggle here. And uh, that those weaker companies, if the market doesn't open again, uh, those that, that 25% or so that George um, outlined might struggle with their own balance sheet six months out from now, those are the ones that, that, that we need to pay very close attention to. Things that could happen is... Um, they're, they're, they could go into bankruptcy, which means that uh, the equity gets wiped out. The bonds become the equity of the company. So we need to be very we need to pay very close attention to that. Or there could be some type of restructuring uh, event that occurs. And, and, and both of those are already starting to be talked about. Um, we ourselves are getting lots of calls from restructuring experts on companies that, that are getting flagged with some liquidity issues. So uh, this is something the market is starting to, to kind of suss out. Um, but I think we'll see even more of that. And what is the appetite, um, do you think, for, for something like a restructuring to, to avoid companies having to go to the wall? Well, it's interesting. I think one of the, one of the stats that we've seen uh, over the last three to six months is the number of private equity firms that are launching distressed funds. And there's a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines. Uh, I, I think waiting uh, to invest in opportunities like this because valuations will come down, providing better opportunities for distressed funds and for private equity funds. And for the business models that can survive, and we can talk about that too, because we did ask a question on, on whether demand reduction is permanent or temporary. For business models that can survive, there should be some really interesting investing opportunities here. And Fiona, I could see you nodding through that, um, that answer. Does that chime with, um, with your thinking? Absolutely. The analysts in the equity division have spent a long time looking at liquidity just as much as the earnings, actually, because as Marty said, yes, one automatically, when one thinks of liquidity, thinks about the bond market. But actually, if these guys go to the wall, then the equity gets wiped out. And that's something that we need to be very cognizant of when we look at valuations, that we don't get sucked into cheap valuations if companies aren't going to survive because of liquidity constraints. All right, well, George, let's just change tack here a little bit then, because um, I think we need a bit of positive news. Um, which of the sectors that are going to, or, or even the regions, that the survey suggests are um, actually better placed now and might, might even do well uh, from, from here on? Well, I think if you look at the earnings cut expectations, they broadly follow cyclical and non-cyclical lines. So the non-cyclical companies thought to fare slightly better in this and the cyclical companies, you know, sectors, energy and industrials, materials, things like that are, are thought to fare on the worst side. Um, when we talk about this liquidity question, there are a few exceptions to that rule, notably technology and financials uh, from the cyclical side who are thought to be much better placed to withstand a liquidity squeeze. Why is that, Fiona? Why, why are financials better placed now? I think the financials learnt an awful lot during the global financial crisis. And a lot of them have spent the years between then and now getting their house in order. So they're going into this crisis in a much stronger position. Uh, Marty? Yeah, I think just echoing what Fiona just said, 
after the global financial crisis, there were a lot of new securities that banks and other financial companies started to issue, which allowed them to persevere in situations like this. So they have capital structures that that are now situating them in a much better place um, in times of, of stress. So where do we go from here? What sort of recovery are the analysts beginning to see emerge? Um, we've heard talk of a V-shaped recovery, of L-shaped slowdowns that just go on and on. But George, um, you ask the analysts again, what stage of the cycle they think their companies will be in in 12 months' time? So what, what can you deduce from what they said? Well, this is a, a really interesting one because we happened to ask the analysts this question in December. So before any of this virus impact had taken hit, uh, and the picture back then was still very much uh, very late cycle. Uh, most sectors, or the, the most populous answer was that their sectors were in slowdown with other people saying, you know, mature stage of expansion, things like that. Uh, interesting enough, not many people were predicting recession at that stage. Now, obviously, I think, you know, you don't need me to say that this ha situation has pretty much hit the reset button on the business and economic cycle. But despite that, in 12 months time, 40%. So so four in 10 analysts are predicting that their sectors will be in the initial expansion or recovery stage, and only 16% saying they'll be in recession. So I do think there is this feeling that while the recovery, I know everyone likes to talk about this in letters, V-shaped or L-shaped, I think it's going to be neither of those. It's, it's quite clear from the survey results. It'll be something else. It will recover. It might take a, a year or, or possibly less than that. But you know, I don't think it's going to go down and then just stop. And certainly the analysts are expecting recovery in 12 months time. And um, Marty, China in particular seemed to be um, even further developed um, in that, uh, that, that, that recovery shape. So I should, I should take comfort from that. Yeah, I think, uh, and it follows on nicely from what George just described and from what Fiona um, talked about earlier about Wuhan starting to open up a little bit. We are starting to see life reemerge in China and, um, you know, certain sectors are, are already starting to see an uplift. So, you know, we're, we're a ways off from that as we sit here in the UK today looking, you know, still being on lockdown. But um, but I think, you know, the analysts are, are paying attention to what's going on in China and thinking uh, whatever number of months it is that we that we emerge. Yeah, there will be a recovery here. So Fiona, I'm, I'm trying to balance then the, the two different messages from, from this um, survey. We, we started with the catastrophic sounding, you know, potentially 44% of, uh, of revenues um, lost, and yet things will come back, the, the analysts are suggesting. Yeah, so there's two points I would make there. The first thing is, I don't think we should necessarily get hung up on the 44%. Yes, it's a big number. We all know given what's happened in the last few weeks, that 2020 is going to be an extremely difficult year for earnings. And as investors, particularly at Fidelity, where we're long-term investors, we don't want to focus too much on that. But the reason that it matters is the earnings for this year will form the base from which we can then forecast earnings in 2021 and 2022. You know, and then we can look at valuations and we can decide which are the right companies that we want to be using the opportunity to invest in for the longer term. So that's point one. Point two is another question that we asked the analysts. The shape of the recovery is going to depend on the different industries. And so for some industries, we're going to see that demand has simply been delayed. In other industries, potentially, for example, the airline industry, then we're talking about demand that has been lost. 
and may never be recovered. And so the way the airline sector recovers versus, for example, the luxury goods sector where purchase of luxury handbags in China has potentially just been pushed out a few months, it's going to be very, very different. And that's going to affect the overall aggregate picture. So the world is definitely going to be in a different shape as we dust ourselves down and um, uh, start to to think about that. Uh, Marty, what factors do you think we should also um, take into account or that's that's coming through from this from the survey? Yeah, uh, you know, as we look 12 months out and and think what the shape of the recovery might look at, I think one of the one of the silver linings here is potentially we're importing inflation into into lots of industries. This showed up in in one of the questions that we asked that George just referenced around um, you know what stage of the cycle companies will be in. A large number of financials analysts are expecting us to be in an, an expansionary period, and I think what they're starting to think is we might get a little bit of curve steepening, if you will, where longer dated bonds have a higher yield and shorter dated bonds than than they do today. It's something the central banks have been trying to to bring into the environment for many, many years, very unsuccessfully. And so if we end up seeing this resurgence of demand, if all of this priming the pump by central banks starts to take effect, having a bit of inflation, uh, it, it could be a very positive thing 12 months down the road. Another positive note to, uh, to, to end on. Well, that brings us to the end of this uh, this analyst survey update. So thank you to my guests, Marty Dropkin, Fiona O'Neill and George Watson. And thank you for listening. You can re- read more on these latest survey results at fidelityinstitutional.com. The producer was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alexander Wilcox and Madison Fletcher. Goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.